Before Seth comes, and uh, as Seth comes, uh, I, I have a would you rather for you. So uh, I'm a youth pastor, grown up doing that, and so would you rathers are kind of near and dear to my heart. So here's the, the would you rather that I have for you, is you have, somehow you have the power to create this spring, specifically, you have the power to create rain whenever you want to, or flowers whenever you want to, okay? So those are the two choices, the two superpowers. And you have to visualize like your fingers just like releasing rain or your fingers releasing flowers where there was no rain and there were no flowers. So just turn to a neighbor, someone you know, and just share your answer. Would you rather be the rain releaser or the flower springer upper, okay? And Seth gets to somehow rein that conversation in, so... Hey, come here. Come here. Oh, thanks. Hi. Well, good morning, Heartland. Um, yes, my answer. Stop. My answer is very easy. I'd prefer flowers because I, rain has not been kind to me in subsequent springs. That would be mine. But this is my buddy Paul. Would you would you rather be a flower guy or a rain guy? I'm gonna go with rain because I can get out of going to stuff. Perfect. Why, why would it be any other answer? Let's give a hand to Paul for being Paul. So I, I want to begin with a really serious and important question for all of you. How many of you have ever snuck in to be a show or to see a show? Be honest. Was there a movie or a concert or a sporting event that you really wanted to see and you couldn't afford, but the opportunity presented itself, so you just snuck in? Show of hands. These are the ones who need to repent later. Now I, now I know. Well, I have a friend who has turned sneaking in to shows into an art. I would call him the Harry Houdini of the sneak, and with his permission, though he wishes to remain anonymous, I get to share the crowning jewel today to start our message together. We're going to call him Harry for that reason. So Harry is, is a lifelong uh, St. Louis Cardinals fan, and in 2006, hey, stop, stop. Some people, Jesus loves Cardinals fans too. And so in 2006, he had the opportunity to be at Bush Stadium, uh, that's in St. Louis, for game six. And that's when the Cardinals clinched the World Series that year. So he had the kind of worst seat in the house, but he was there, an incredible celebration, incredible party. And as he was on his way out, he looked up and saw a window kind of in the side of the building. And it looked like in the window was Lou Brock, who was one of the greats for the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, most of us would just think, oh, that's cool, and go on our way. But my friend Harry thinks, I wonder if I can get in there and get my picture with Lou Brock. So he tells his buddies, hey, I'll meet you later. And they know what this means uh, for them. And so he looks and he finds what he's looking for in the form of a door. And so he has a philosophy on life. I think it's a great one. It's just simply this. Every door is open. You just have to turn the knob. Okay? So he goes to the door. He turns the knob. Sure enough, he's able to walk into this kind of exclusive place. I think it's like a media door. And if it's me, this is where my palms start sweating. This is where sirens go off. Like, I'm not supposed to be here. And I would be found out just like that, but not Harry. He finds his way in, and sure enough, he meets Lou Brock and gets his picture taken and gets his signature, but he doesn't just stop there. He walks down this ramp, and there he sees Albert Pujols, who has just won uh, the World Series. He's being interviewed. 
But he doesn't stop there. He keeps walking and goes through some double doors and finds himself in the locker room of the St. Louis Cardinals. They have just won. I mean, it is pandemonium. There is champagne flying everywhere. And he's trying to be inconspicuous, kind of stand away. And then he knows that he's failed because he gets a text from his mother. And it says, where are you? I think I'm seeing you on national TV in the locker room. Isn't that amazing? Every door is open. You just have to turn the knob. Well, the story gets even better. Because about four or five years later, the Cardinals make it back to the World Series. And this time, the World Series Game 7 is back in Bush Stadium. But my buddy can't get a ticket. There are no tickets to be had. They're way too expensive. But my buddy doesn't need a ticket, does he? Because he knows where the door is. So sure enough, he walks up to the door. He turns the knob. It opens. And now it's game time. And so he's able to walk past that kind of entryway where Lou Brock was, and he's able to walk down the ramp through the media area, and he's able to walk either through or around the locker room and winds up game seven where the Cardinals clinch another World Series right behind home plate in what would be sort of the equivalent to the crown seats. Now, he has no ticket, he has no seat, but no one's sitting down anyway, right? And sure enough, the Cardinals win again. And so when the the victory is secured, my buddy knows what he needs to do. So he leaves, he goes into the locker room, he puts a towel over his wrist, and he begins helping pour the victory champagne. (laughs) Is that not an incredible story? And the moral of the story is, of course, this. Every door is open. You just need to turn the knob. It's a great story. It's one that I've been captured by this week because some people like my buddy are real comfortable with sneaking in and being places where they don't belong, but I'm really different. If I know I don't belong or if I feel like I've snuck in where I'm not supposed to be, I get really tense and nervous. And that's made me think about this. I wonder how many of us approach God like we've snuck into a show. Where we, we hear, maybe for you it goes something like this. You know, I, I think there's something really big and really important out there. And other people have access to that, but for whatever reason, I have not. I'm more on the outside looking in. Maybe as I approach the church or God or God's people, I've tried to step out there, but I'm so nervous I keep people at arm's length. Why? Because if they get to know me, they may see that I'm an imposter. Maybe you're here today, and I'm so glad you're here no matter where you're at and whatever your motivation, but maybe you're here today feeling like you've snuck into a show and you don't have a ticket, and you're just waiting for someone to tap you on the shoulder because you feel like you're not supposed to be here. And the reality is for many in our culture, they've just bailed on the whole idea of God or church or Jesus entirely because they just assume they're not invited. Maybe you have heard someone say, I would never darken the doors of a church. Or maybe someone you love has said, dude, if I stepped into church, I'm sure a lightning bolt would strike me down from heaven. Interestingly, more than a handful of people I love have said those exact words to me. Do you know people like that? 
who feel like they're on the outside looking in, that there's no way God would invite them to the table. Well, here's the good news today. As we look at the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, what we realize is that Jesus came for everyone, and he especially came for the last, the least, and the lost. Are you with me? What we've been seeing in the life of Jesus is that he came for everyone and especially the last, the least, and the lost. And so as we're in Luke chapters 12, uh, 13, and 14, things are really coming to a head. We're seeing this story unfold in beautiful ways. And so Jesus is rising to the peak of his popularity and crowds are flocking by the thousands and he's healing people and bringing the good news of the kingdom. But as this is happening, tension is beginning to mount as well. And it's the religious elite, those who think they have it all together, that are increasingly growing in animosity and hostility. And so what we need to see, what I want us to focus on today is why exactly Jesus was so dangerous. Why was his message uh, so, so dangerous to them that they're starting to want to kill him? Have you thought about that? I mean, yes, the kingdom, his kingdom is opposed to their power, and sure, his popularity gets in the way of their pride. And of course, his teaching challenges their theology, and granted, his critiques cut them to the core. But that's not at the heart of why their animosity is about to boil over. And the true reason is simply this. Because Jesus had the audacity to invite the last people you would think to the party of God. That's what they couldn't handle or get past. Jesus invited everyone. And especially the last, the least, and the lost. And so as we're looking at these passages, there are two in particular that have just captured me this week. Uh, The story where Jesus says, I'm the narrow door, and the story where he talks about the great feast in the kingdom of God. And so I'm going to unpack those briefly for us today. If you have your Bible, you may open it up to Luke 13, starting in verse 22, or you can follow along on the screens. And so Luke tells the continuing of the story in this way. It says, Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he went, always pressing on towards Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? So here's the deal. In Jerusalem, a showdown is mounting between Jesus and these religious leaders. Jesus knows his time is near, that when he gets there, there's going to be a line of demarcation that's drawn. Some are going to choose him, some are going to reject him. Some are going to choose to be in, and others are going to elect to be out. And so his followers are starting to pick up on this, and one of them asks, Lord, will only a few be saved? So I want you to pay attention to what Jesus says and what Jesus doesn't say. He replied, Work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom, for many will try to enter but will fail. When the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. You will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you've come from. Then you will say, but we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. And he will reply, I tell you, I don't know you or where you've come from. Get away from me, all you who do evil." 
Well, at first blink, this is a challenging and troubling passage, isn't it? Jesus is saying, hey, it's really hard to get into the kingdom. Will only a few make it? Jesus says the door is narrow. That master is God. That's the illustration. Will he really lock the door? Will he really shut people out? Well, this brings up the exclusivity question that may be one of the hardest questions for folks in our culture to grapple with, and you may be asking this question too. Does the Bible teach the exclusivity of Christianity? Or put differently, is Jesus the only way to be reconciled to God? Now, I know that this is a difficult and a challenging question, but it may not be as challenging as we think when we hear what Jesus has to say. Because we have, when we approach this idea, we tend to have a faulty view of Jesus and we have a faulty view of ourselves. We have a faulty view of Jesus and a faulty view of ourselves, and it looks like this. A lot of us, when we think about that question, think about Jesus as a guard standing in the way of the kingdom of God. Any Monty Python fans? A lot of times, people may think about Jesus being like that black knight that stands with his sword down saying, none shall pass. I may be smitten down for likening Jesus to the black knight, but hopefully not. (laughs) Or put differently, we may think of Jesus as that big bouncer at the bar, that there's this great party going on, but Jesus is there like that bouncer saying, hey, if you want to get in there, you've got to get by me first. Is that true? Is that what people often think of when they think about Jesus and his claims of being the way to God? Well, here's the fault with that view. Jesus isn't guarding the door. Jesus is the door. Jesus isn't the one trying to keep people out of the kingdom of God. There would be no way into the kingdom except Jesus is that door. He's like the side door at Bush Stadium during the World Series where there is this epic party happening inside. Without that door, there'd be no access to the rest of us. But because there's that door, we can sneak in and enjoy the party. Isn't that amazing? Jesus isn't keeping us out. Jesus is the door. But it also brings up a second faulty perspective that we tend to have about ourselves, and that's just simply this. As humans, we're pretty insecure. We want to be welcomed and liked. And if we don't feel welcome, we will tend to disinvite ourselves. You tracking? And so when we moved into the neighborhood, we really wanted to love on our neighbors, and God has blessed us with incredible relationships in and around our neighborhood. Some folks who come to Heartland, many who don't, But we've tried to give equal access to everyone, imperfectly, by the way. But there was one family early on that I just really liked. But there was something about they they didn't, we weren't able to give them what they wanted. And so though we kept inviting them, they increasingly didn't show up. They disinvited themselves. They even disinvited themselves from the neighborhood. They moved out. Now, I'm not saying cause and effect, but that really bothered me. We tried so hard to send out evites and invitations. They were always welcome. They just disinvited themselves. But nowadays, I see 
just how true that is. Because as humans, if we don't feel welcome, we will disinvite ourselves. So as you were listening to that passage, did you perceive that you were the person on the outside looking in? If you assume you aren't invited, you're going to disinvite yourself, but that's not who Jesus is talking to. I want you to pay attention in the text who the you is, who he's saying this to as he concludes. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for you will see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you will be thrown out. And people will come from all over the world, from the east and the west, the north and the south, to take their places in the kingdom of God. And note this, some who seem least important now will be the greatest then, and some who are greatest now will be the least important then. The you isn't the people who think they're on the outside. The you is those pious, holier-than-thou people who presume they're on the inside, and they're the ones opting out. Are you with me? Jesus invited everyone, and he had a special place in his heart for the last, the least, and the lost. And so this continues a few verses later where Jesus uh, is in a room. He's in sort of this banquet with this wealthy kind of uppity-up person, this holier-than-thou pious sort of person. And he brings this challenge to that person. This is found in Luke chapter 14. This is the next part of the story. It says, Then he turned to the host. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. But instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay. See, not only did Jesus include the last people you would expect to be there, he included those who almost everyone regarded as least. Who are they? The poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Those who think they're great now may be the least, but those who are least may be the greatest. That's what Jesus seems to say. See, poverty can be difficult in our culture and in our world today, but it's nothing compared to the poverty in Jesus' day. It was rampant. 90% of people lived in poverty as poor in Jesus' day. There was no middle class. There were a few elites, 90% in poverty. Some of them were, were uh, just kind of, they had enough to live day to day, but no more. They could catch fish and eat, maybe a little bit to sell, but they were one bad season or harvest away from destitution. And those were the fortunate poor. Two-thirds of that 90% were what would be called destitute poor. Their situation was hopeless. They were beggars. They were victims of a system. Jesus came for the last the least, and the lost. And his first beatitude, that moment where he came and said, my kingdom is coming, the first words out of his mouth were, God blesses you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. See, for the good news of Jesus to be good news, it must also be good news for the poor. 
Last week, we talked about money and possessions and how we measure our success. And our challenge for you, for many of us who are probably rich, speaking in the history of the world, we're probably the rich ones. The challenge was just to be grateful for all that God has given. The challenge was to seek first his kingdom and as an overflow to give generously. And in so doing, we left it. That's how we get to store up treasure in heaven. And it was a difficult topic, but hopefully you felt the lift of that kind of message because Jesus came for all of us, including those who are relatively affluent. He came for everyone. He gives us everything and we can give back to him. But I kind of left it on us. Hey, by giving, we receive, right? Which is true. But it's not in the end about us, is it? When Jesus said, sell your possessions and give, he said, sell your possessions and give to the poor. See, Jesus came for the last, the least, and the lost, and so should we. When the good news is preached, it should be good news for the folks who assume they're on the outside looking in. That's who the news is best for. And in our passage about the great feast, there's someone who picks this up. I'm presuming, I'm speculating that this person is part of that 90% poor. I don't know. But it says, hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. What a blessing. Talking about the future state, God's kingdom, this incredible party where all are invited. What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus picks that up and he replies with a story. He says, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent a servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married and so I can't come. Who's the audience of this particular story again? It's those religious elite who presume they have it all together, who think of themselves as insiders. The ones who've been given the invitation by God and yet have chosen to reject it. This is who Jesus is talking to. Think of it like this. I don't know, anybody ever watched Downton Abbey? Anyone? It's a great, great show. There's this Lord of a Manor, Lord Grantham, who has this incredible estate and employs a lot of people. And because he was wealthy, there were times where he would throw a festival for everyone in the town. And everyone would come because this was the time when the poor, when those who didn't have it all together, they could come and have this great feast and festival. And I guarantee you in Downton Abbey, no one missed it. Well, here's what's happening in the text. This is why it's so scandalous. It would be like God, the master, who's invited everyone. He started with his own people, the nation of Israel, and they RSVP'd saying, yes, we'll come, and then the day of, they didn't show.
this is what's happening in the story. It's why it's so scandalous for those who are hearing it. So they don't come. So what does the master do? Jesus continues. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Why? Because God loves the last, the least, and the lost. But here's what just wrecks me about this passage that I hadn't noticed until this week. Continues, after the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. There's still room. So the master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will even get the smallest taste of the kingdom. See, when Jesus came, he invited the last, the least, and the lost. And from these texts, who are the only people who didn't get in? In both times, only the ones who perceived they were in and disinvited themselves. Everyone else had a seat at the table. Did you see that? Is that not stunning? And so I've just been sort of wrecked this week by these two parallel stories, these sort of parables of Jesus that on the one hand, Jesus is saying, I'm that narrow door. Jesus says elsewhere in the Gospel of John, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. It appears really exclusive. That can be a challenge for us. But Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm standing at the door keeping out. He's saying there's no other way. No one can come. So I am that way. I am the narrow door. But where does the narrow door go? into this extravagant feast, a party uh, for all the ages. And there are many, many seats available. And there is an invitation for everyone, especially the last, the least, and the lost. Are you with me? See, this is the good news. This is what we have to look forward to. This is the kingdom of God that one day we have a chance to look forward to when people from every tribe and tongue and nation, especially the last, the least, and the lost, will enjoy eternity with their Savior. And we are invited to that very same party. And the World Series championship, even if it were the Royals, doesn't compare to that, does it? So there's this narrow door, but there are an infinite number of seats at the table. It's breathtaking to me. It's absolutely stunning. And I hope that is for you as well. So if you only hear three things today, here's what I want to leave you with. First, Jesus came for the last, the least, and the lost. Secondly, Jesus is the door that gives unprecedented access to God. He's not keeping people out. He's the one that lets everyone in. And third, there is a seat for you. There's a seat for you. And so I started with kind of a sneak-in story. I might as well end with one too, right? And so in, in the 50s and 60s and 70s on Broadway, there was this thing that was often called second acting. Have you ever heard of this? 
So wealthy folks in that time could afford seats in the theaters, but New York was full of starving artists or people who couldn't afford those seats. So what would happen is, at intermission, when many people would go out for their smoke breaks, these starving artist types, those who couldn't afford to get in, would sneak in for the second act. All they needed was an air of confidence and a playbill in their hand and a belief that there was a seat for them. Now, in, in our day today, like, it's a lot more restrictive. First, there are no seats. Second, every seat is all about money, and people are trying to keep everyone out who doesn't have a ticket. But in that day, ushers oftentimes would help second actors find a seat. Why? Because they knew they couldn't afford it. And there was a place, so they'd help them get in. And so there's one really powerful story that I encountered this week Uh, the case of a young boy, age 15, named Richard Gruber. He'd grown up in the Bronx, and he had a passion for the theater that outweighed his budget. And so he and a buddy would often go in and second act. And one of the shows he went to see was the 1968 production of Hello, Dolly, which was a super huge and important production. He went on the final night of this incredible run, and it was so incredible because it was the first all-black cast of this musical in the prime time on Broadway. Absolutely groundbreaking. And it's this event that, that Mr. Gruber, Richard Gruber, at age 15, sneaks into the second act of this show. And this one's a sellout crowd. There's almost no room, but they're able to find a seat on the orchestra, right, of of one on the aisle. And so Richard had to sit in front of the front row on the floor. And so as act two began and the curtain was raised, there was the first opening number, and then it came time for the showstopper, for Dolly herself to come on stage. And this was a woman named Pearl Bailey, this incredible woman with this voice like an angel who had the ability to command the stage. She received a Tony Award for this very role. And as she's walking up before her big number, she looks down, she sees Richard right there on the front row and says, honey child, what are you doing here? Richard is called out. He has no seat. He has no ticket. He is snuck in for the second act. But he just blurts out, well, I came to see you. And as the ushers are rushing to take him and and pull him out of the theater, Pearl Bailey says, no. This is her show. And in so doing, she gave this young boy a front and center seat, best seat in the house, for the final show of this incredible run. It's a beautiful story, but it doesn't hold a candle to the love of our Father who sent Jesus, who made a way, saying there is an empty seat for you and for me at the banqueting table in the kingdom of God. Jesus came for the last, the least, and the lost. And Heartland, that's why we're here. And if you're in this room, that's why you're here. And so what I want you to do is just, you're sitting in a seat. I want you to look at the seat. Go ahead and touch the seat. This isn't weird. Just notice there's a seat under you. I want you to know this is your seat. 
there's a seat for you. Now I want you to look around the room and I want you to see there are some empty seats around. And I want you to think about a person who you'd love to be here, but they're not here. This is a person who needs to know there's a seat for them. Think about a name or a face. And I want you to begin praying for them by name. Why? Because one of these seats is a seat for them. In about five weeks or so, we have Easter. This is the celebration moment of our faith. We'll have five services. There are going to be plenty of seats. There is an empty seat for each person you're thinking of that just needs to know, hey, there's a seat for you. There's a seat for you. And so as we prepare our hearts for communion, this is something that the Christian church has done for centuries. We are reminded of the truths that we're sharing today. That Jesus left heaven, came to earth, and through his life, his death, and his resurrection, he made the way to God. That's what we remember. And so when we approach the communion table, which should be this banquet, this feast that the Lord has offered us, I want you to know everyone is welcome at the table. Everyone. You get to decide if you're in or you're out. To decide you're in means three things. First is that you choose to believe in God and in his son and that through Jesus' life and death and resurrection, it made the way to God. All you got to do is believe. Second thing is we uh, confess that we do have sin, that we've fallen away from God, that we probably don't deserve a seat at the table. And we name those by name. We believe and we confess, and then we receive. Because coming into the table never had to do with how good we are or doing everything right. It had to do with realizing we can't do it right, but receiving the good news of Jesus' grace once and for all. And so we receive and we take the cracker and it represents Jesus' body broken. And we remember what Jesus has done. And we, then we take it and dip it in the cup. And we remember that this was Jesus' blood of the new covenant that's been shed for the last, the least, and the lost, for you and for me. And so I'm going to have you stand, if you would. Uh, there's communion available up front, um, in the back, also in the atrium. It's gluten-free everywhere you are. And this is your time. And so I'm going to read from Luke chapter 10 just to set up our time. It's a familiar verse that just says, ask, seek, and knock. And so I tell you, Jesus says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. So here's the deal. God is the master who's knocking on the door of your heart. All you gotta do is open the door turn the knob and let him in. This is your time to ask, seek, and find. And by the way, if this is brand new for you, but today's your day, or for the first time you want to take communion because you want to come into God's kingdom, 
We have crosses on either side. There are people who can talk with you through that, who can help you do that, and you can take your first communion today. So I'm going to pray and then invite you in your hearts to come forward, asking, seeking, and knocking. And we trust that the Lord will respond. Amen. Jesus, thank you that you're here. Thank you for your life that you showed us the way to live. Thank you for your death that you made the way to God. And thank you that you were raised. And because you were, we might be too on the last day. You are that narrow door that gives us access to the great eternal banquet. I just thank you so much that there's a seat for everyone. For everyone. So, Lord, will you do your work in the lives of your sons and daughters who are here? Give them the ability to ask as best they can or seek, even if they don't feel like they can, and to just make the faintest of knock. Allow each of us to open the doors of our heart. Will you come in? Will you heal, forgive, restore? Give us encouragement and hope. Give us your grace and your peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.